Hello to all you disciple makers out there. This is Matthew Croson with Discipleship.org. I have the great privilege of working behind the scenes on the Disciple Makers podcast. Now, Dave Stovall is feeling a bit under the weather today. Therefore, he asked if I could step in and introduce today's episode. Now, in today's episode, we feature a conversation between Bobby Harrington, Tom Rainer, and Gabe Lyons. This episode is packed with conversations about faith, evangelism, discipleship, and generational challenges in modern Christianity. Tune in as we listen to this Q&A session from Discipleship.org's 2023 Intentional City Tour in Nashville. So, uh, I want to lead us in a prayer before we dive in, because let me tell you why. Uh, what we uh, received from uh, Tom Rayner is real practical, pray, be more evangelistic, um, do more to reach people who don't know Jesus. And what Gabe said is, let's do those things, but we're going to have to be deeper and more thoughtful. And putting you two together is going to be my challenge. So let's pray first. God, thank you so much for these men. I pray that you would help us to create a synthesis that we can walk away from tonight. In Jesus' name, Mm. amen. 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 So uh, I always, uh, so uh, when I did my uh, doctorate, my mentor was uh, Tom Rayner. So I just want to call him Dr. Rayner but he told me not to call him that. So, Tom, what is your response to what you heard Gabe saying? Let's start there. What Gabe is saying is so vitally important because it causes us to listen and speak. In other words, uh, when Peter and John were in prison and the Sanhedrin told them to stop speaking, they said, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard in Acts 4.20, but what we are speaking has to connect with the people with whom we are speaking. And what I heard from Gabe is we've got to know those people. We've got to know the culture that is there. We should not go blind. We should go informed, and we should be able to reach those people because we care enough about them to understand where they are. And Mm -hmm. that, to me, was the single lesson. There were lots of them. one of the other lessons I got from him was, I wish I had his voice. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I wish I had his height, uh, his age, his weight, and a few other things. But, but the, 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 main th- the main thing I came, just we have got to be listening as we speak. It is not a choice. It is both and. We're listeners, and we speak the truth as well. Hmm. So, Gabe, what did you think when you were listening to Tom? I loved it. I mean, I I love. I, I wish I had your intellect. I mean, I'm I'm uh, blown away by your knowledge of what's happening in the church and that context, which is so critical for all of us. Because, I mean, I was trying to quickly write down the hundred to the thirty-two, like just that data and how helpful that is for any pastor, any leader to recognize what's literally happening. If we don't know what's true and we don't define reality, we have no idea what what to do with it. Um, but but I'm encouraged by just the evangelism impact that you're calling for of har- of the harvest being plentiful, but the laborers being few. And I'm seeing that in a new generation. That's and, so good. And we're seeing it here. I mean, we're seeing it locally in Nashville. My my kids are 20 and 18. Are you here? Yeah. So really? I live I live in Franklin. 
I live in Franklin. Yeah, we should have dinner. Do you live in Franklin? <laughs> I live in Franklin too. Wow. Um, so, but on Friday nights tonight That's to get cheap speakers for travel. That's good. <laughs> tonight, um, tonight, right now, there's there's about seventy five teenagers meeting downtown. They're worshiping for the next hour. They're hearing testimonies amongst eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one year olds, and they're about to go out on the street on Broadway. And they're about to do the old school thing that some of you did when you were younger or you've seen others do. And they're about to pray over people for the next 90 minutes and talk, break up bachelorette parties and ask a bride, you're getting married tomorrow. Like, can I pray for you? And break into conversations. Can I take a picture of you? In downtown and, Nashville? In downtown Nashville on Broadway. Um, wow. And, and they're excited to do it. And they'll circle up at about 11 p.m. And they're going to tell testimonies and stories of all that God did just from them showing up. So, so I want to encourage you, there is something happening in this younger generation that, you know, some, some have referenced Gen Z as Gen Zeal, right? There's just this zeal and you're trying to anchor that zeal with the depth, but there's also a simplicity to them that, that I haven't seen. Um, I feel like as I was growing up through that age group, like the gospel and sharing, it felt a little more complex. I think for them, it's gotten really simple. And so I'm excited about the fact that that's the need of the hour. And that I believe it, it's, it may not be the masses of the next generation, but there's a significant group of the next gen. And some of them are quite influential who are boldly starting to proclaim truth. And I believe God's raising them up for this moment. You know, Gabe, when you and I, well, no, we're not the same generation, but we, we do go back. I go back further than you do, but uh, we would have to get through this layer of cultural Christianity often to talk to people and to listen to people hmm. before we could talk things of Christ, the gospel. And when I say cultural Christianity, I'm talking about people who claim the label of Christian, but they're not. Yeah. It's obvious in many ways by the fruit. They're, they're not. That is not the case with this younger generation. The, their generation understands if you claim the label of Christian, you're usually claiming the name of Christ. And so they're not having to penetrate yeah. this fake Christianity they're able to get right to the heart of it, and they see that. And that is an incredible opportunity for Gen Z, but it's also an incredible opportunity for all of us Once, as well. And so many of, of that generation hasn't ever heard a presentation of the gospel. Right. I mean, we, we were in an age where most people, we assumed, already had a skepticism. They'd heard it at least three times, the, the plan of salvation, the Romans road, and they had rejected it, and you were trying to overcome that. Well, this new generation... Their parents haven't shared with them a gospel presentation in many cases, and they haven't heard it. And so the good news really does sound like good news when they're hearing for the first time that there's an answer. And you also have a generation that's more depressed than ever, mm. more fearful about the future. They don't have high anticipation. There was a recent study um, asking this Gen Z and millennial group, you know, if they'd want to live to 100 years old, the majority of them said, why would I want to live that long? Mm. Like, like most of us would be like, of course, I'd want to live life that long. Well, you could start to see there's, there's this sense that like life's meaning and purposeless, that purpose has, has evaporated. And so the gospel comes into that and gives them all the meaning and purpose in the world that they're searching for. So, so I think we might see the next generation leading us. My daughter and my son got me down on that street because I saw them going every Friday night and I go, why am I, what in the world? And they're asking me like, why don't y'all do this? Aren't we Christians? Yeah, yeah. That's um, straightforward yeah, I question. Think, I think we should start showing up, and um, and that was good. That's that's good for me. Anytime I can go down there, it's amazing to just get in that environment again. Some of you are probably doing that more regularly than I was, but it was a good thing for me. 
Well, have, according to what what you're saying, Tom, is people are not doing that. I mean, in your five points, point number four is evangelism is dead. They are not doing it. They're not doing it in the church. Church leaders are not doing it. That's a broad statement. There are always exceptions to that. But the fact of the matter is, if a few do it, and even if a few don't do it well, it is highly effective in the culture in which we're in now, just as Gabe is saying, the good news is good news, and they're understanding that it's good news. So why don't we go and tell yeah, people yeah, this good yeah. news? Remind, uh, I think it was D.L. Moody. Uh, somebody criticized what he, what he was doing. He says, well, I prefer my way of doing it badly than your way of not doing it at all. <laughs> yes. And so I was with my uh, father, who's 78 years old, and he gives out tracks to every waitress, waiter, server, everybody he sees, he gives a track out to. And we were down at this place. We were in Lynchburg, Virginia, where I'm from. And um, we were at this place called the Texas Inn. It's a dive. And there's a lady that's worked there for 30 years who I've built a relationship with. And we've talked and we've talked about things of God, but I've never, I've never gone for it the way I should. Well, my father's sitting there with me and, and he meets her and realizes that they've grown up near the same area and gets into a conversation and she drops a couple F-bombs and because he goes, man, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have a mouth like that. You're a lady. She's like, well, I know I pray to God to forgive me in the morning. And, and he just goes into this conversation with her about the gospel and gives her a track. Will you read this tonight? Yeah, I'll read it. Well, I want you to read it. And then I'm going to come back down here next week and let's talk about it. Faithfully sharing the gospel. I walked out of there so convicted. You but know, watching my father do something that, you know, as maybe D.L. Moody would have said, like, man, I'd, I'd prefer his way of doing it the way he did it than my way of just building a relationship, but never really entering into that level of conversation with somebody. During your presentation, another thing that came to mind really quickly was my three sons. Um, I used to say my three young sons, but I am so freaking old now. They're my three middle-aged sons. <laughs> and they're, they're all in vocational ministry. Two of my pastors, one of them has a Christian finance company. And they'll say, Dad, you need to know what's going on today with the people with whom I'm speaking. I said, what are you talking about? Well, Sam, who's a pastor in Southwest Florida, said, do you know what my number one issue is when parents come to me to talk to me about their teens or preteens? I could have guessed, but he, he went on and said it. He said it's sexual identity issues. Yeah. He said, Dad, how many people did you counsel on sexual identity? When you were a pastor, one, mm. just, just, just one. Of course, when, when I counsel someone, people said they came away feeling worse. So they did not stick, come back to see me again. So I under, I under, understand that reality, but that's what I was thinking about. These were not the issues yeah. for yeah. me, but it sure is the issues for my middle-aged son pastors. Uh, uh, Sean McDowell, like his father is an apologist, a, a very effective apologist has a great podcast. Uh, recently, he went to um, Washington, D.C., spoke to a bunch of high school students, and uh, he reported back uh, because it was open conversations for high school students. He said, I did not get one question about evolution, hmm. but question after question after question about sexual identity issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the LGBT. How things has have things have changed. Yeah, I mean, the, our, our kids, they're, I think everybody's very aware at this point that that has just dominated um, our youth and they're being forced to, parents are being forced to engage these conversations with their 12, 13-year-olds when schools have coming out days and they're, yeah. they're at school and they're like, what, what am I doing? What, what am I supposed to do? Um, and that's been, I would say for the church broadly, that's been one of those areas that's, been so sensitive that 
pastors and leaders want parents to handle that. Parents are looking for support from the church going, how, how do I handle it? I've, yeah. Like you just said, I've, that's not something I've ever had to talk through before. And there's a real need for resources and space to do that. One of the, one of the things we created um, one evening in our church was a Q&A night where we invited a couple experts and invited all the youth to come out and parents, if they were interested, to have a conversation around sex and gender. And the kids, essentially, we said there's no topic off limits, and they were able to ask their questions. They texted them in, and we had experts that answered their questions. And they had some of the most amazing questions, simple questions. Parents decided if they wanted to, to, to send their kids or not, so the parents were part of that decision. It didn't just take over the youth group night. It was a special night set aside. But those are the types of environments I'm describing. If we can create space for a conversation to take place, the kids go away going, oh, my goodness, I didn't know the Christian faith had so much wisdom on this mm-hmm. issue. I had no idea. They start to get more confident. They start to get more bold. They start to tell their friends like, well, did you know this? Or did you know how God's designed us to function uh, in relationships? Did, are you happy with the sex that you've had and what that's done to your relationships and, and to your relationship with your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, friends? You know, you, you start to build that confidence in them, I think, when we create the conversational space. I think that that's really good. And what's going on there is you're describing being very intentional uh, for church leaders to equip their people so that they can be disciples and then make disciples. We always talk about the two things is we want to be disciples mm-hmm. and we want to be disciples who make disciples. So so adding both together. Tom, I want to come to your fifth point, which well, is, it? it was the church does not have a sense of purpose. Truth. Talk to us a little bit more about that, because if you ask most people, they're going to say, well, we want to be a church or something like that. But explain what you mean by that. You were well, running out of time when you got to your fifth point. I was. Uh, when, 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 Rick, when Rick Warren did Purpose Driven Church, the reason it was so powerful, not Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, 1995, if I recall correctly, it is because someone finally articulated what is supposed to happen at a church and what is supposed to happen to people at a church. Now, that's a simple way of putting it. And you, you might not agree with evangelism, discipleship, ministry, fellowship. What did I leave out? Ministry. You may not agree that those are the five, and you may say you better put a sixth in there, prayer. But, but the, the point is he identified this is what the church does. Now, my, this, is, this, this is just so simple. I mean, really, I am not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. So I, you know, I appreciate your comments about my so-called intellect, but I'm not. So there, there, there's, there's this movement that took place where church members were asking the question, well, do I do evangelism? Am I doing evangelism? Am I becoming a disciple? And I don't like that. And that was one of the reasons that that was so critically important. But today, today, I hear this from pastors. I've heard it from some pastors here that uh, church members don't know what they are, I'll use air quotes, supposed to do. What, is, what, is, what does it mean to be a 1 Corinthians 12 member of the body of Christ? What does it mean that I am participating in this community? Well, is it self-sacrifice or is it being served by others? We obviously know the answer. Is it giving or is it receiving? We know the answer, but many of the church members do not know what I'm supposed to do. And guess what? If you don't know what you're supposed to do, you won't do what you're supposed to do. And so the purpose movement that was back in 1995, that long ago, doesn't necessarily need to be rekindled. 
like it was. But we do need to remind leaders again and again, most people who are coming in your church don't know that they are mandated to do evangelism. Most members who come in your church don't know that they're to become more devoted followers of Christ, disciples. Most of them don't know these things. And so maybe one of the things we need to do in our churches today is to get back to some basics. This is what a church member yeah. does. To that. And so that's the purpose-driven movement of many years ago. Something needs to be rekindled today, and I hope it will be. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials, it's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. It's so important for people to know the if you're doing something, what's the purpose of the thing you're doing? Like, why do you go to church? We, we like to describe it this way, and I'm going to put my discipleship.org hat on for a second, uh, because the mandate in Matthew 28 is not to make converts, it's to make disciples which, you know, fruit-bearing disciples. Sounds uh, like Donald McGavern. <laughs> is always the thing that uh, that you have emphasized. But if you make it, I, I think we've got to be really crystal clear on the purpose that we want to disciple people to salvation, where they place their faith in Jesus, and then disciple them to become more and more like Jesus, which you'll do till the day you die. But when we make it really simple, it's about bringing people to Jesus, and then helping them grow up in Jesus. And we design everything around that goal of being disciples and making disciples in relational environments the way Jesus did it. I just I just want to uh, say, I think that that helps with the clarity that you're talking about. Think, think about the bookends of Jesus' earthly ministry. He called the early disciples, Peter and Andrew. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay. So the call to discipleship, come and follow me, had a call to multiplication evangelism as well. How did Jesus' earthly ministry end? Right before he ascended to heaven. You will be my witnesses. And you will be my witnesses, whether you're in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or to the ends of the earth. It was pretty important to Jesus that its disciples were being made, that they were in the process of telling other people the good news that more disciples would be made. Yeah, I think that's right. So I just want to advocate for the clarity of that sense, we're called to be disciples and make disciples. Yeah. Can I uh, do a little switch here? Because Gabe, you talked about circles rather than rows. Um, go ahead if you would and explain a little bit more about what you mean about that. And then I have a question that ties some of this together. Well, I think 
one of the things that might have changed in 2019 and 20 is we lost the cultural Christians who were attending churches who were Absolutely. interested in it. Just and that was maybe more happening in the South and not necessarily in some of the blue cities and places. But but I think that's done. And so I think now we recognize you're you're really discipling disciples and you're you're trying to make disciples that are going to go out and do evangelism. But the church being a place that's designed for seekers, I, this is my personal conviction on this, is is not actually the place. I don't I don't believe the church was designed in a Sunday environment to be designed to be converting people to Christ, other than they're hearing the gospel taught and the the spirit's conviction does that. But we're not trying to design services around how are we going to win somebody to Christ? We're actually designing services around bringing that godly wisdom to bear on the life of a disciple and how that ought to show up in the world this week, tomorrow, as you go out and convert, or at least work with the spirit of God so, so he can convert and, and so on. And I know not everybody would share that opinion, but that I think 2020, we've kind of moved past seeker sensitive church as being, being a dominant view of how American Christianity is going to advance. Um, having said that, a new generation recognize is not interested in coming to church for content. And, and many of you aren't either. We all have so much access to sermons, podcasts, content galore that Sunday mornings, if it's just about hearing the next episode, and then I got to wait another week to hear the next episode, but on Netflix, I can go binge and watch six hours of content and get the whole story. Then I'm probably going Netflix and you're being trained. They're being trained culturally that that's how they consume stories and that's how they consume content. So if we're only thinking about the disciple-making process at the church as being a Sunday morning hour together of worship, and that's that's the main thing we're putting our energy into, we're probably going to miss out on the types of mediums that people are most interested in learning in. So one of the things we've done through through our organization, Think, is we do this thing called Think Summit. Well, our friend in California, pastor in Southern California, um, classic California situation during COVID, like it was a church that had to shut down. They worked with their sheriff. They opened back up and they, they they kept meeting. They created an evening for four hours where they invited in 10 different experts and some more talks that we had provided them on video to create a whole evening to talk about 10 different current issues facing them in California. Mm. And that four-hour night became an energizing. Not one person left. They were there till 10 p.m. They thought it was going to be like a two-and-a-half-hour evening. And it went on and on and on because they sat at tables like this. They heard about the issues of the day. It was outside of a Sunday morning. The pastor didn't have to be the expert that told them exactly how to think about everything. But he said, our church is going to create space for you to have dialogue and conversation because I want you to be discipled in our church. I don't want you to be discipled by Twitter and Instagram and Fox News and CNN. I want you to have space to talk about the issues you're concerned about in the real world in the context of our church so we can bring godly wisdom to bear on it. And I would say those kinds of environments are booming and flourishing and a new generation's longing for that kind of space. Yeah. So I don't think it replaces Sunday morning. Yeah. I just think we have to now do some more supplementing and create those well, kinds of places. Well, let me jump in there because um, in one of the conversations we had earlier today, Chris Harper with Better Man, who's uh, out here somewhere in the audience, was talking about how the average uh, Gen Z is listening to four to six hours a day of podcasts. Hmm. And uh, Tim Keller, just a few years ago, used to say the average person is locked in their social media bubble five to seven hours a day. There, Here's how he said it. There is no way one hour on Sunday morning 
is going to counteract all that other information. Mm -hmm. So Sunday morning is a good thing, but we've got, here's what I would advocate and you guys react to. We've got to have circles throughout the week, right? not just on Sunday morning. It's the discipling relationships where it's uh, people getting together in homes and in coffee shops mm -hmm. where, where the main agenda is, the purpose is we want to be disciples and make disciples and live lives that honor and glorify God where we work, live, and play. Mm. Um, so, um, Yeah, the most exciting thing I do every week is a Bible study Tuesday mornings with about 30 men. And we go through one or two chapters a week of the Bible. And we sit in a circle for one hour and we read verse by verse. And then we talk about it. I'll share for five or 10 minutes my thoughts, but then I want to invite everybody's thoughts so that they're all engaging during the week. And, and it's probably all of our favorite moment of the week. Yeah. You know, it's, it's vibrant. And the, the discipling, we, we've pioneered some ways with, we call them transformation groups, groups mm -hmm. of three to five that get together sometimes at six o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday or my wife disciples uh, uh, three to four women Tuesdays from five to 6.30. It's you're getting together and you're dealing with heart to heart, eyeball to eyeball, life on life, the word of God and the realities that we live in. Mm -hmm. I, just, I just don't know how we can create, in your expression from Kinnaman, resilient disciples yeah. apart from multiple circles throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as you would imagine, I have some data about that. It may not be interesting at all, but it's a little bit of data. Uh, the circle I'd usually describe as a group. It could be a group of three. It could be a little bit larger group, but it's a group. And so the big definition of groups, just leave it at that. But again, it's more the circle than the rows. And here's, here's some things that we have found out. Someone who is in a group, one of these circles on a consistent basis, usually every week, someone in a group is five times more likely to stay with the church five years later. So that's assimilation. This is what gets a lot of pastors excited. Someone who is in a group gives eight times per capita more than someone who attends worship only. Now, what is that? I mean, that's a generosity stewardship campaign, you know, just right there. But what it is saying is the circle, the group, it's creating disciples who want to give abundantly, yeah. who want to serve, whose lives are being changed. I can't imagine a healthy church without the circles because that's vital to the life of the church. That's more than the one hour. That's throughout the week. That's right. What I've found with this, this little concept of an hour in scripture and not a book, not some other book, not any other content, just literally. Not, not a book about the Bible. Not a book about the Bible. But not the a, Bible not a think itself. talk. It, it's literally, we read the scripture and I'll tell you, these men are coming alive because they've not had a lot of spaces that are doing it that simply, or they've been intimidated by scripture. When you create space for people to just talk about what they sense the spirit saying to them and they can be corrected if they haven't studied it or, and you have a discipler. I mean, I think that's the other thing is when you do a group like this and, and I had to, it was awkward at first, like I'm going to disciple you guys. Yeah. And that's, right. that's, that's, this isn't just a circle to talk. I'm going to bring what, what I need to bring. It's not just a gathering, yeah. but it's for the purpose of disciple making. Yeah. That's why you're together. That's right. And when you make that clear up front and all this gets down to expectations and setting right. stage, small groups, all that, but, but good leadership is we, we got to do that. And, and I'm now four other guys have started groups on Thursdays 
and you're seeing the multiplication effect that it's so simple. And, and none of them are trained in seminaries. I know we'd love for that to be the case, but they're, they're literally just desperate for living out what it means to be a disciple maker. And they're experiencing so much more life. And then the, the byproduct is community. I mean, the byproduct is everything the soul is longing for that's missing in our world today. And you bring a non-Christian into that environment, and I've yep. done it a few times, and they quickly, quickly absorb right into wanting to become a Christian because they haven't experienced that type of life and community that's in this good. isolated world. Uh, let's, uh, in fact, in the few minutes we have left, let's tie this back into reaching lost people. Tom, you've done a lot of research over the years that shows that a lot of people will engage in discussions about Scripture. They'll join one of the circles if we'll only do one thing. Invite them to come to the circle. <laughs> Talk to us about that. Well, the power of invitation is very, very simple. It's not just say, come and, and we'll see you if you get there. It is come and I'll meet you there. It is come and I'll join you there. Whether it is to a worship service or to a group, a circle, it is so powerful that if you invite someone and you tell them the purpose of coming is, first of all, I want you to be there, but I want you to join me. Yeah. And you want to see almost this, and now I'm going to the worship service. I know we're talking about the, uh, what happens during the week in the groups, but I'm just going to do the worship service right now. The number of people who actually show up when invited is now exceeding 90% if they are invited if a person walks into the church with them and then invites them to a meal after wow. service. Over 90%. Come join me for church. I'll meet you, sit with you, and then we'll go get lunch afterwards. That's it. Hmm. Over 90%. Where most people say, I invited them, and they didn't show up. Well, I better know what you didn't do. Yeah. Hmm. It's, that, that, um, it's that relational angle. We talk a lot about intentional, relational disciple-making. I would like to make this point— uh, about reaching lost people as well as helping people to become more like Jesus. And we talked about this this afternoon. It's somebody saying, I love God and I love this person enough. I'm going to intentionally do my best to reach out to them and invite them. Mm. It's motivated by one thing, by genuinely loving that person. And I think that's why Jesus said that uh, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. Hmm. Or Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, three things are going to be around, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. Yeah. want to give you guys one last comment before we close. Gabe? Um, I think the, the idea of an intentional disciple-making movement is the moment of our hour. I believe the church, we're, we're seeing a shrinking church, but I think a stronger church. I, I see us as small and mighty. I think about David, you know, with Goliath, like small and mighty. A lot of what's pushed out since 2020 have, have been those who really weren't Christian to begin with or, or weren't really committed to what it meant to be a biblical Christian. Um, and so we have a moment right now to strengthen those who have said, I'm willing to step into this. I'm willing to step in deeper. I'm willing to be looked at as a little more crazy and extreme because I do believe that this is true. Um, and to not be fearful about that, but to recognize, as Tom pointed out as well, but God is always, the spirit of God is always at work. 
we don't know what tomorrow or next year looks like, but in a moment, this these things can turn. That's right. And I can tell you, there's going to be a desperate world. Every day that goes by, the world's getting more desperate. I mean, you know how many people are more interested in reading scripture today than they were three weeks ago? A lot more people. Mm. A lot more people are trying to understand what's what's happening here? What's happening with Israel? What's happening? Does Revelation talk? What is Revelation? Like, should I read that? Am I scared of that? There's curiosity mm-hmm. about scripture, about the deeper things, the deeper foundational beliefs that drive the world and that drive religions. And so the curiosity is starting to peak. If we as a church are prepared for that and we're willing to step into it and we're doing our work, we're studying, we're becoming better disciples. We're asking God to speak to us and give us these opportunities and boldly step into them. Then, then I just think it's amazing what God's wanting to do if we just make ourselves more available. Tom, be purposeful. It goes back to that fifth point that we're talking about. Be purposeful. And as you are purposeful, don't assume that the people with whom you're speaking already know what you think they know, whether they're church members, elders, or deacons, or a non-believer. Several years ago, I was I wrote my, my blog was due at 5 a.m. the next morning, and I was just couldn't think of anything. And so around one in the morning, I put together 480 words, threw it out there, and said, this is going to be a piece of trash. I woke up the next morning and my assistant said, do you see what's going on? I looked around and I said, well, I haven't woken up yet. What are you talking about? And he said, your 480 words in the first two hours have been read by over 1 million people. And I said, really? All I wrote was a little piece of nothing called I am a church member, which then became a little book which then had all kind of legs to it, still does today. People did not know what it meant to be a First Corinthians 12 church member, not to be an institutional church member, but to be a First Corinthians 12 church member. And so I say, don't assume people know. Mm. Teach them. They, they won't be offended if you're redundant to something they already know. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. Coming up next, we got Lori Arnold, who's going to talk to us about intentionality and relationships. She's going to tell some personal stories of her experience at her church in Houston, Texas. Thank you guys for letting me stick with you for this episode. Dave will be back next week, and I hope that you guys have a great day.